Anybody here like steak? Me too. Just imagine, the people that like steak, can, there's people that like steak and then there's people that really like steak and they're kind of really, really into it. You imagine if you were really into steak, the best steak you could buy. The very best, the filet mignon, or, you know, prime rib steak, whatever it is, some wonderful steak, and it's prepared perfectly, and it's, and it's brought to you, and it's sitting on your plate. And of course, you want something to accompany that steak. Um, and can you imagine, what do you say about this? Baked potato. Oh, baked potato, yeah. What if they brought you craft dinner? That'd be all right, girl. So, here you have this incredible steak. You've probably spent a ton of money on this beautiful steak. It's cooked to perfection. And somebody slops KD next to it. Now, if you're not Gloria, you might think, what a shame. Like, the, those two things don't go well together, right? Um... You might even think that that is sort of a disgrace. You might even think that it shows contempt to that beautiful piece of meat, that wonderful steak, to put craft dinner next to it on the plate. I want to tell you about a dinner that was instituted by God at the time in which Moses was delivering his people from captivity in Egypt. It was called the Passover meal. And in that Passover meal, this is the night before they were going to be leaving Egypt, at twilight they had the meal, they were to take a lamb, a, a perfect lamb, without defect, and they were to slaughter it, they were to take the blood from it and put it on the doorposts of their houses, and then they were supposed to eat that lamb. Now the blood was going to be the sign to God that the curse upon the firstborn of all those living in Egypt, would be killed. It was a sign to pass over that house and those firstborn. It was a sign of salvation, right? It was a sign of having death pass by because of the blood. And then they were to eat the lamb. And... There was to be something that accompanied that lamb. Does anybody know what it was? Unleavened bread. Bread without yeast, in other words. Flat bread, <laughs> right? They were to eat unleavened bread with the lamb. And that was a perfect pairing on their plates, let's say. Unleavened bread and lamb. Now at the time, the significance for them 
as Israelites was that there was no time to wait for the yeast to leaven the dough so that it could, you know, because that takes time. Because they were going to, and actually, they actually had to eat with their cloaks in their belts as if they were ready to run. So they couldn't wait. So the bread could be unleavened. It had to be unleavened. The Apostle Paul makes a direct relationship to that meal in this passage. And I'm going to ask Ken if you'd bring up past the chorus, past the hymn, next one. Yeah. He makes a direct link to that Passover meal to a situation he was dealing with in Corinth. The church in Corinth had lots of issues. And Paul equates the Passover meal that the Israelites were to partake in every year with the Lord's Supper. The supper that you're about to participate in. And he does that by saying that the perfect lamb is Jesus Christ. And of course, we don't have meat up here. We have blood, symbolizing the blood of our sacrificed lamb, Jesus Christ. And we have bread symbolizing the body of Christ. Look what, look what it says. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, by this time, the Israelites and the people that would hear that and the people who were Jewish people living at the time of Christ and the time of the early church equated most often leaven or yeast with sin. And so he's saying, get rid of the sin or the loaf that is the sin. And only eat or participate in the body of Christ with unleavened bread or unsinful bread. This is a serious thing. A very serious thing. In how we approach the Lord's Supper. In that instance, that church... And in this case, Paul is referring to getting rid of somebody who was persisting in an incestuous relationship. And he's saying, you cannot participate in the feast of Passover or the Lord's Supper if, in fact, that sin is permitted to stay in the bread. Get rid of 
malice and the wickedness and only be sincere and truthful. And this is why the apostle just later on in his letter talks about another issue that church was having and that was disregarding each other in taking the communal supper together. And this is what he writes. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you, this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he gets very serious. So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning with regard to our, ourselves, we would not be under would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So just as the Israelites were not to have yeast in the bread, it's to be unleavened bread. Just as that early church was commanded to not couple the Lamb of God with leavened bread that was leavened with sin of malice and wickedness, we too need to examine ourselves as we come to the Lord's table. Are we going to do that to the Lamb? <laughs> Expect that we could participate in the Lord's Supper harboring malice, harboring wickedness in our hearts. They are incompatible. And they are an affront they are an assault. They are a contempt to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we examine our hearts. The good news is we don't examine our hearts and find at the end of that process sin and condemnation we find at the end of examining our hearts sin and forgiveness. If we were sinless, or if we were sinful, or if our, I should say it this way, if, if our participation in this table depended on us being sinless, okay, coming in the doors of this church, no one would be eating this meal. But we come, we examine our hearts, we see if there's any evil, 
We see if there's any malice or wickedness. We confess it. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that there's another passage where Paul talks, if you come to the altar and you realize that your brother has something against you, you need to go to that brother and deal with that situation before you continue at the altar. And I think that too is relevant in the situation where we're coming to the Lord's Supper. We cannot couple the Lamb of God with bread that is full of the yeast of malice and wickedness. It is incompatible, and it is an affront and assault against God and against the sacrifice that Christ has made. So we need him, don't we? <laughs> we need him to purify our hearts as we've been singing so that we can participate in this supper where we remember the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God. And we can come without malice and wickedness knowing that we have been forgiven and we have been cleansed and made whole.